Welcome in Slump Busters, it is time for another podcast-ish episode. As you're aware, the AFC and NFC title games are this weekend, and Kyle Ledbetter and I had the opportunity to welcome on some outstanding guests. I still recommend checking out the video version on the YouTube channel, but I also wanted to release the audio, that way the audio listeners had the opportunity to hear these guests' thoughts, their representations of their teams, and what you can expect this coming Sunday. And maybe if you're listening to this after Sunday, you could analyze whether we were wrong or right in any particular regard. But the first game preview that I would like to bring to you is going to be our AFC game preview. And we recorded this on Wednesday, and our guest, we welcome in Jordan Hines of the Sports Dude Hines Show on YouTube. He has a growing follower base and is a bona fide Cincinnati Bengals aficionado. And countering him, we welcome on Steve Willis. Steve has a funny TikTok that I highly suggest you check out. Steve Willis uh, with a zero at the end of it. He gives the plugs. He gives the plugs. So you can always refer back to that if you want to give him a follow. He's representing Chiefs Kingdom in this preview. So I'm going to bring you that. Hope you enjoy. And I'll be back to talk to you before our NFC preview. Jordan Hines representing his Cincinnati Bengals Day Nation. Jordan, how are you doing today, friend? I'm doing really good. I really appreciate you know you all for having me. I'm still kind of surprised the Bengals are in this situation, but you know excited to get talking about the Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs. And representing Chiefs Kingdom in the red corner, Steve Willis. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. And uh, my heart has finally slowed down from last Sunday night's game. So I think I'm ready for another one. I think we're all ready for something. And we got two phenomenal quarterbacks in this matchup. So similar last week, we had two young guns with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes going at it. This weekend, much of the same between Joe Burrow and the new Grim Reaper, Patrick Mahomes. And speaking on that, at the end of their week 17 game, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes were pretty confident that they were going to meet again in the postseason. My first question, Joe Burrow was sacked nine times in that game against the Tennessee Titans. Jordan, first question to you. How are they going to do a better job protecting him? And if they can't, what does that game look like? Depending how the Bengals offensive line plays has a big impact you know, on the outcome of the game, obviously. Uh, if you know Burrow gets sat nine times like they did this past week against Tennessee, I think this game's over by halftime, unfortunately. But you know, this offensive line honestly just does not really make any sense because you look at the week prior, you know, we were playing a very good uh, Raiders, you know, defense line, you know, Carl Nassib has some of these other guys, Max Crosby as well. We gave up a few sacks, but aside from those sacks, our offensive line played played pretty well. You look at our first meeting against Pittsburgh this season, we did not allow a single sack against Pittsburgh. Um, I, I really don't know how this offensive line is so inconsistent. I feel like the best way to prevent so many sacks are just screen passes and short, you know, slants, Burrow passing to Jamar Chase like we've seen, you know, pretty much the whole season. So I feel like these short passes, bubble screens, some stuff like that, having Burrow uh, throw the ball quickly to avoid pressure is our pretty much our best chance to uh, not getting sat nine times like it was uh, this past week. 
And Steve, on the flip side, talking about the Chiefs, the thing that I found fascinating, and while we're talking about weaknesses uh, for very, very good teams at the end of the season, was that Buffalo, even in loss, did end up out-possessing the Kansas City Chiefs uh, by about a minute or so, and then overtime kind of flipped things a little bit. But ultimately, the Chiefs ended up outgaining Buffalo at the end of the game and dominating time of possession to keep Josh Allen off the field. So how important is it for the Chiefs to attack the weakened Bengals rushing defense as kind of a way to keep Joe Burrow off the field? Well, of course, that's going to be very important. Uh, It's pretty much the greatest asset of any playoff team is to have a great run game and a great defense. That's, That's kind of the classic formula to win playoff games. And of course, with Jarek McKinnon now showing up in the playoffs and becoming a great asset for the Kansas City Chiefs running game, and now we have a healthy Clyde Edwards-Alaire, that's going to be a nice little change of pace. And uh, not to mention catching the ball out of the backfield, being able to uh, just keep the defense honest and keep them on their heels a little bit sometimes and not necessarily pin their ears back and go after Patrick Mahomes. However, if they do, they of course would be in for a great surprise because Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback against the blitz in the NFL. If you have seen here lately, teams do not blitz at all in this Buffalo game. Buffalo brought the blitz twice in the previous game. They blitzed him zero times. It is a great mistake to come after Patrick Mahomes with anything more than just four rushers. And even when you do, he's got two more outlets now, it's, it's unlike what we've seen in the, the past or even the beginning of the year where Patrick Mahomes had a propensity to hold on to the ball, step back, step forward, play around in the pocket. Even though he can make plays outside the pocket, he is known more instead of trying to force things downfield to take that check down, take that quick read. So if you're bringing that pressure, even with four, you're still running a risk of Mahomes getting the ball out quickly. And the running game is just going to be an extension of that because if you're trying to push through that offensive line fast with four, you might miss a running back going right by you. Steve, I want to stick with the rushing game here. Last week, Jarek McKinnon outsnapped Clyde Edwards, who are 70 to 30%. This week, Daryl Williams is practicing. Do you think that the Chiefs have found a nice balance with rotating those guys? And in a way, do you think Jerry McKinnon is a better fit for this backfield? Well, when you look at it, first of all, answer the first part of your question. When you look at an Andy Reid offense, it's very common that he uses multiple backs out of the backfield for multiple things. And like he likes to refer to it as it is a, a different flavor when you when you get different running backs coming out of the backfield that can do different things. Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jarek McKinnon are both more finesse guys. Uh, Daryl Williams is really the power guy. Uh, Gort coming out of the backfield is a phenomenal uh, change of pace back as well. So you've actually got four in the stable that can do all kinds of things for you, uh, just depending on what the offense needs right away. And uh, sharing the load is definitely something that you want to do. You know, how many running backs can say, hey, I only need to worry about 50 yards in a game, or I only need to worry about 12, 13 touches. And the offense is going to be incredibly effective because I know I got my partner over here who's going to be able to do the same thing. And we're going to be able to play ball control offense. Well, adding to that is the fact that in the entire divisional round of the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes was the leading rusher in the entire sport, running backs, quarterbacks included. Patrick Mahomes was the leading rusher of the weekend. So Jordan, from the Bengals side of this thing, uh, who's the X factor for the Cincinnati Bengals, who is going to contain Patrick Mahomes in the pocket and, you know, potentially try and limit one of the greatest quarterbacks. And what I would argue based on this Jersey, I'm wearing the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football. 
when you look at this Bengals defense, you know, they have some very underrated players on the offensive line. You know, Sam Hubbard, a guy who's not really been known for sacks, has really picked it up this season. He's more of a, a run defender, but his sack production this year has been one of the best years he's ever played. Trey Hendrickson was a very questionable signing in the offseason. Lots of Bengal fans were, you know, skeptical, including myself, about, you know, his high salary signing with the Bengals. He's been absolutely phenomenal. He's top five in sacks this season. He's top five in pressures. I believe at one point during the season, uh, Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson were the only uh, teammates who were top 10 in the NFL in pressures. So I think, you know, Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, uh, I think, you know, those guys, they have to have at least, I think, two sacks from uh, those combined for us to have a chance. Because when you look at, you know, when we played them, Earlier this season, you know, I don't, I do not believe we sat Mahomes one single time, and you know that was really a struggle for us. You know, at, uh, we have to pressure Mahomes, and we cannot let Burrow get pressured. Uh, you know, if those things, if Burrow gets pressured and Mahomes doesn't get pressured, uh, this could be a long day for Cincinnati. But I feel like this, you know, Bengals defense has really been stepping up the past couple of weeks. Uh, Ryan Tannehill had a couple of picks; he was sat a couple of times. So I think this Bengals defense can get to Mahomes more uh, than they did the first meeting. Jordan. Back in May, when the Bengals first drafted Jamar Chase, I thought it was a mistake. I thought they should have went Penny Sewell. Obviously, we talked about the sack numbers earlier, but clearly it's paid off. Jamar Chase has been phenomenal this year. How important was it for the Bengals to get that wide receiver one? And can you explain that immediate connection, that in-sync knowledge between Joe Burrow and Jamar uh, going back to their LSU days? But when you look at quarterback, you know, obviously quarterback is the most important position on the field. You look at quarterback and wide receiver chemistry. That is such a key in the NFL and today. And, you know, taking Jamar Chase at the fifth pick overall, lots of people, you know, including yourself, you know, thought they should have took Panay Sewell. But, you know, with Jamar Chase, you know, being our wide receiver number one, in my opinion, I think right now he's 10 times better than what A.J. Green was his rookie season in 2011. Chase is exceeding our expectations. But when you draft a guy like Jamar Chase, if he's your number one, we have two very underrated receivers, uh, T. Higgins as a wide receiver number two, and Tyler Boyd number three. I mean, Tyler Boyd, the last three years, has averaged over 1,000 yards a season. T. Higgins has been phenomenal. And then you add Chase to the mix, it, it's very hard to stop. And, I mean, obviously, Chase has been a huge part of our success this season. Honestly, if we would have took Panay Sewell, I don't think we would have won seven or eight games this year. I mean, Chase, you know, aside from Joe Burrow, I would say, you know, Jamar Chase probably has to be our MVP uh, this season for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's been absolutely phenomenal and is continuing uh, to exceed expectations for Cincinnati. Well, case in point, the last time that the Bengals played the Kansas City Chiefs, Jamar Chase went for 11 catches, 266 yards, three touchdowns, I believe. Uh, Charvarius Ward was added unofficially. It wasn't officially 300, but I have a Mr. 300 club for people who allow 300 yards to wide receivers in a game. So Steve, I ask you this. How will the Kansas City Chiefs contain Jamar Chase and really the Bengals offense as a whole, but more specifically Jamar Chase going into this game? Well, of course, Jamar Chase and uh, and that entire Bengals team, they have a phenomenal offense and they have multiple weapons. So you're going to have to pick your poison uh, per each play. But Jamar Chase, one of the uh, things that the Chiefs did not do in that first game, they did not bracket Jamar Chase. They left him on far too many one-on-ones. And that is going to hurt you every time. Now, the, the big question for Kansas City is what's going to happen to Tyron Matthew. He's still in the concussion protocol. Andy Reid said today that he is doing better and he's feeling good. And this is the first time Andy Reid has actually even hinted at anybody that is in the protocol all year saying that they could possibly, and these are his words, if things go well, 
he could possibly play this weekend. So that is huge for the Chiefs' uh, defensive secondary. Now, of course, if you bracket Chase, that's going to either it's either going to leave you one less person to get after Joe Burrow or one less person to cover all these other great receivers, the tight end, the other uh, great weapons that uh, the Cincinnati Bengals have. But at the same time, they've dealt with this already this year in a couple of different instances. They just got done with a game with a couple of dangerous wide receivers. You may not be able to cover them 100%. Let's, let's, let's face it. The Bengals are going to get theirs. Jamar Chase is going to get his. Burrow is going to get his. They're not going to be able to stop them every play. But if you can stop a couple more plays, that could be the difference in the game. And maybe if you're on third and 21, you don't bring the house on a blitz and leave them one-on-one. That's probably a bad idea. I'm pretty sure Steve Spagnolo learned his lesson from that. If not, I'm sure Andy Reid taught him a lesson on that. So I'm sure now that they've come in and looked at the film and said, this is what you know he did to us. This is what Burrow did throwing those passes. They will game plan for it. I'm sure a lot of it starts with getting an extra body high on Jamar Chase. The first time the Chiefs played Cincinnati, it was their first loss in three months. And they were up 31 to 17. In fact, they were up multiple scores to begin that game. How do they prevent getting complacent if they do jump out to a big lead against the offense that can come back on you so quickly? You mentioned they're going to get theirs. But if you do develop a lead, how do you keep that lead? Something that we like to say uh, in Chiefs Kingdom is you have the regular season Chiefs and you have the playoff Chiefs. And the regular season Chiefs got caught in a lot of games where it just looked like they kind of mailed in the second half offensively or they had a little lack of interest. Now, beginning of the season, you had a lot more of teams were running the too high safety and Mahomes had to figure it out. But here towards the end of the season, um, it started in that Bengals game. And then you could see it move on throughout the Denver game uh, and finishing off the season. The Chiefs offense just kind of played lackluster. Why? It's hard to say, but a lot of people, including myself, think, look, when you know you pretty much have yourself locked in, you know that you're in the playoffs, you know you've won the division. And I know at that point they hadn't quite won the division, but they knew they were on the path. It's hard to really get up now. You're in the playoffs now things are different. The Chiefs have dropped 40 points on two playoff teams. Mind you, Pittsburgh's not as good as Buffalo, but they still dropped 40 plus on Buffalo, which was the number one defense in the league going into the playoffs. I believe it's all going to be about the energy. Chiefs kingdom is going to be rocking. It's going to be crazy at Arrowhead. Once again, we are hosting the AFC championship game. May as well start calling it the uh, Arrowhead Invitational. And uh, it's going to be a different atmosphere. It's going to be a different element. And I don't think there's going to be anybody on that chief sideline or either sideline that could possibly not have that energy coursing through them the entire game. Yes, it's going to be quite the classic over at Gia Field at Arrowhead Stadium, which I find funny that the names keep changing all the time. So, uh, Jordan... He mentioned 40 points for the Chiefs in each of the last two playoff games. Uh, They've also scored 52 points in three quarters against the Texans in the playoffs. So for the Bengals offense, what is it going to look like offensively for the Bengals to win? What is Burrow's stats going to look like? How is Mixon going to perform? What is it going to look like for the Bengals offensively in order to get the win? 
Something that's interesting, you look at this Bengals team, you know, we've won, you know, back-to-back playoff games. You know, we haven't won a playoff game in over 30 years. But when you look at both those games between the Raiders and the Titans, our offense was actually horrible in both of those games. You know, we had four full goals in both of those games. That are, that's unheard of for a team you know, that has all of our weapons. You know, we were really... You know, we had to score tons of points against the Ravens and Chiefs, and we had really perfect games against Baltimore and Kansas City. And, you know, when we beat those teams, Burrow threw for over 404 touchdowns in each of those games, turnover-free football by Burrow. And with this game being in Arrowhead, it's going to be, you know, much more difficult than playing in your home field in Cincinnati. But we really, really have to have a perfect game. We cannot settle for field goals like we have in the past couple of weeks. We're not going to get by with that. You know, in my opinion, you know, Burrow has to throw for at least 350 for us to win a couple, uh, probably three touchdowns. But I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. I feel like the Bengals can compete with the Chiefs, you know, with, you know, having more points, but they just cannot set over field goals like they had the past couple of weeks. They have to be aggressive, like Taylor has been in the regular season. They have to be really, really aggressive this game. And Zach Taylor honestly has to coach the game of his life this week, which I, th- I think he is capable of for Cincinnati to beat Kansas City. Gentlemen, 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 it is officially time for predictions. So I'm going to kick it off first by throwing it to Jordan Hines. Jordan, is it going to be Stripe Pipe Sunday when the Bengals enter Arrowhead? This is one of those games where I think could be very similar to, you know, the division around this past week where every single game, you know, the outcome was on the final play of the game. And, you know, the Kansas City Cincinnati game was very the exact same way, final play of the game. Honestly, I think whether it's the Chiefs or whether it's the Bengals, whoever has the ball last in this game is going to win this game. This is going to be a high scoring game. Uh, I'm going to take Cincinnati 37 34. Um, you know, those ones, if you just get one stop by Kansas City, that is so crucial because, you know, it's very hard to stop a team, you know, led by Patrick Mahomes. And this Bengals team, I think they can deliver on defense. You know, Ch- Chidobe Abuzier, you know, a corner who's been phenomenal this season, had the worst game of his career this past week but we were still able to win. You know, we held Derrick Henry just three rushing yards uh, per attempt this past week. You know, nobody, everybody thought Derrick Henry is going to be phenomenal. But, you know, I think our offense, you know, the fact that our offense hasn't even been playing good and we still beat two pretty decent uh, playoff teams, it, it's very hopeful for Cincinnati that our offense can put up points. It should be a great game. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals lost. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas City lost. It's going to be a great game. I, I just want to see a great, great football game like we have, you know, this past weekend. My esteemed co-host, you've doubted the Bengals. You said they were not a playoff team, but yet they're here. Will they pull the upset of their lives? Yes, I, I did say that the Cincinnati Bengals, as early as December, were not a playoff team. And I do, I regret it in hindsight, you know. there There is a tad bit of regret on my part for going against the Bengals. I'm still upset that Lamar Jackson couldn't have been healthy. It would have been interesting to see what would have happened if Lamar had gotten into the playoffs this year. This has no shade on the Cincinnati Bengals when I say that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win this football game. The Kansas City Chiefs might be up big at halftime in this game. Uh, that offense is totally overwhelming. They're has not been a four-year run of success quite like what we've seen from the Kansas City Chiefs. If I asked you to pick out any four-year run during the Patriots dynasty, I don't know if any of them stack up with how dominant the Chiefs have been over the past four years. So it has nothing to do with Cincinnati when I take the Kansas City Chiefs to win. Uh, I don't usually do predictions in the playoffs for scores, but let's have some fun with this. We'll call it a scoregami, a 45 to 36 win for the Kansas City Chiefs. It will be the first ever 45 to 36 score in the history of the NFL, and the Kansas City Chiefs will win. I believe the line is minus seven for Kansas City, which feels about right. 
I feel like that's a good place to put it if you're trying to get equal bets on both sides, because I feel like that similarly to the Buffalo game where the Chiefs were up like 23-21 with four minutes to go, uh, it feels like it'll be kind of that close if the Bengals get a stop. Maybe Joe Burrow gets one chance to go down the field. If not, Kansas City ends up winning the game, but I also see a scenario where the Chiefs jump out early. Burrow has to throw the ball 60 times in the game and Kansas City wins rather handily. And this would be an easier type of victory for them. And that's just because the Kansas City Chiefs offense is entirely overwhelming. So uh, I will take Kansas City to win and advance to a third consecutive Super Bowl. No shade from Kyle Ledbetter. Steve, what about from you? Well, first of all, it's a little cold in the Midwest, so uh, we're going to just handle that because uh, obviously you guys got a lot more on top than what I do. So here we're going to we're just going to do this right here. And we're going to say <laughs> this AFC championship game, just like the last two, is going to get taken over by the Reaper, the one and only Showtime Patrick Mahomes. That offense is going to come out on fire. The Cincinnati Bengals have not played at Arrowhead with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow talked back in October about how no field is quite like the SEC and how loud it is. The loudest it's ever gotten in his home stadium in Louisiana is 130 decibels. 142, son. 142 is the record at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium. And believe me, all of Chiefs Kingdom all week has taken it personal. It is going to be loud. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be wild. And the Bengals, I I expect at least one or two false starts or pre-snap penalties thanks just to that crowd alone. Now, the Chiefs offense, they're going to get out to a hot start. They're mad. They're mad that that anybody is even considering the Bengals are, are going to come in there and win this. And even Vegas says seven points. I don't think it's going to be that close. I think Joe Burrow is going to be running for his life. Yeah, he ran up against one of the better sacking defensive lines last week, but he didn't go up against Frank Clark, uh, Melvin Ingram, and uh, Sack Nation, Chris Jones, right up the middle. That is going to be something that's going to be really hard to deal with, especially when you've got to change plays at the line and only half the offensive line heard what you said. So it's going to be a tough road to hoe for their defense. I think the Chiefs win. They win big. I'm looking at 38-27. This is going to be a great game, but it's definitely going to be a Chiefs win, and we're going to be seeing the Chiefs in a third straight Super Bowl. All right, I guess it falls on me. Is it either going to be a split or it's going to be a runaway for the Kansas City Chiefs? They got Joey Franchise versus the Grim Reaper, Patrick Mahomes. Where am I going to go with this one? Obviously, I'm a little biased on the NFC side of things. I want the Niners to win. Is it going to be a Super Bowl rematch against the Chiefs from two years ago? Is it going to be a Super Bowl rematch from 81 or 88? I was an early adopter on the Bengals, and I'm not going to stop now. So you know what? For entertainment's sake, I'm going with the Bengals. Jordan, I'm with you, buddy. We're going to win this one. It's going to go big time here. Joey Franchise, I've just been impressed with everything he's done for the Cincinnati Bengals ever since coming off of that ACL injury. Their playmakers are littered across the field. If for some reason Tyron Matthew can't go or Rashad Fenton can't go, I think the Cincinnati playmakers are going to eat. Joe Mixon is going to be more involved in the offense. I think they're going to keep that Kansas City defensive line off of Joe Burrow better in this game or do some more stuff to mask that weakness. And 
One other fun stat I'll throw in here, especially if we're talking about Vegas odds, Vegas spreads. The Chiefs are only 10 and 9 against the spread. Meanwhile, the Bengals are 11 and 6. So I think it's going to be a close game. Score prediction 37 34, Bengals. It's going to be another shootout. It's going to take a lot of points to win this, no matter who walks away and who steps into Super Bowl 56. Thank you so much to our guest here. I guess the only proper thing to do is to allow the shameless plugs to commence. Jordan, first off, thank you. What do you want to tell the people about? What do you want to educate the people about that you're working on? Well, something, you know, educate people. You know, you talk about the spreads. You know, at the last time I checked the spread was six and a half Chiefs. The last time the Bengals played the Chiefs, it was six and a half. And we saw the outcome there. But, you know, who knows when with the game and everything. Really appreciate, you know, you all for having me. Really, you know, uh, thankful to be on the show. Uh, you can check me out on YouTube, the Sports Do Hind Show. Also on Instagram, the Sports Do Hind Show, and Twitter, uh, S Do Hind Show. I post weekly content. Try to do a couple of live videos a week, have some Bengals content in there. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you all uh, so much for having me. Steve, what about you? Any parting thoughts for the people? Absolutely. Listen, everybody out there, just remember, after everything's said and done, we have no control over Jackson Mahomes and Brittany. I'm sorry. There's not much we can do about it. Just enjoy the games. That's what's important. Look, you guys, I don't do as much sports stuff as I used to. I did it for a long time. I've moved over to just like general entertainment and comedy now, but you can find me on TikTok. And that is just look at my name, Steve Willis Zero on TikTok. Go follow me. I guarantee you're going to get a laugh and a half. And especially if you're a Chiefs fan, you're going to enjoy the page. 11 and a half. Can't go wrong with a bargain like that. All right, like I said, guys, that was Steve Willis and Jordan Hines. Recommend giving them a look before you finish the end of this recording. Now, let's get into the NFC preview. Obviously, 49ers faithful myself, I had to temper down the bias. And that is why my first guest I introduce is going to be the Sheriff Joe Baggs of the Rams Showcase YouTube channel. Gotta say, I don't listen to a lot of Rams content, but for future Rams information and analysis, I'm definitely going to turn to the Sheriff. Like I said, Rams Showcase on YouTube. And countering him, a guy I've had on the YouTube channel before, a guy we've had on the podcast before, Jason Aponte. Jason is one of the growing voices in 49ers Twitter, highly knowledgeable about the team, busy guy, still dedicated time to come on my show, which I can't thank him enough. Uh, Sprint Ride Option podcast. He also does 49ers Coast to Coast with Grant Cohn. Grant Cohn, another guest we've had before. A number of different shows. It's hard to keep up with how many different shows Jason's doing, but if you follow his YouTube channel, you'll be able to keep up to date with all his latest 49ers information and happenings. Without further ado, here's Kyle and I's NFC Championship Preview. In the blue corner, flexing with his amazing setup and braving the winter elements to join us, the Sheriff, Joe Bags, How goes it, Joe? Doing absolutely incredible, man. Appreciate you guys reaching out and having me tonight. Appreciate having you as well. And in the red corner, representing the Sprint Ride Option podcast, co-host of 49ers Coast to Coast, and a man that will be in Los Angeles live this Sunday, a return guest, Mr. Jason Aponte. Jason, thank you for joining us tonight ahead of your trip. Busy day, my friend. It sounds like you got appreciate it though i mean i mean like uh like we were talking about earlier it's a good kind of busy and right now who cannot be excited and um thank you guys for having me it's just we're talking about the game before the game and who, who's not excited about that oh yeah i'm pumped i i've been on anxiety it's been like 
caffeine shot, adrenaline shot, just waiting for this game to happen. Jason, let's get right into questions. First question out the gate, as always, when it comes to the 49ers in the 2022 season, we got to start talking about the quarterback. Kyle Shanahan has received a ton of criticism for not immediately inserting the rookie into the starting lineup or trading Jimmy prior to the season. Win or lose, has Kyle already been justified in his decision-making to stick with the veteran? Absolutely. And we don't have to agree with it. I guess the process wasn't how we believed it would be, but the result is. If, if you were going to say that this team would be one game away from playing in the Super Bowl, I think they had those aspirations to begin with with Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't see how, especially considering when this team was three and five, left dead in the water by nearly everyone, including myself. You know, I might as well just own myself with that one. Um, to be in this position, I think they absolutely did the right thing because the results are right there in front of you. They are, you know, one game away there. There's 60 minutes from winning another game to move on to the game. So I, I absolutely believe it's justified, even if we disagreed with it as vehemently as we did. You know, this question is headed over to you because we were talking about this off air a little bit, how Jay, obviously 49ers fan, he's headed over to Los Angeles. 49ers fans everywhere are headed over to Los Angeles. There's already a lot of Bay Area transplants in Los Angeles. If the Rams have to go to a silent snap count, and if this turns into a sea of red in San Francisco, does that concern you? Is that anything you're thinking about? Or is it kind of just all ships going forward? We're going to play the game regardless of who's in the crowd. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting way, the, the, the way it unfolded. Week 18 was obviously very much red at SoFi Stadium, and all indications say that the, the percentage of 49ers fans is actually going to increase for this one. They're, I want to say they estimated it was going to be closer to, to 58% 49ers fans, something like that. I'm not sure how they get come up with those estimations, but yeah, yeah chances are that there's going to be a lot of 49ers fans there. Uh, it's something that we deal with in Los Angeles. Uh, the 49ers are not the only team that do this. Uh, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Raiders, there's multiple teams that kind of take over SoFi Stadium. You can ask the Chargers as well. They have issues with it also. Just that Los Angeles fan base, uh, I, I think it'll take quite a few years, a couple decades probably for the Rams to really solidify themselves in Los Angeles and have their own fan base out there that the Rams fans are the ones filling that stadium every time. So, you know what? I'm not necessarily concerned about it though. I mean, it's one aspect of the game uh, these are two very good football teams going at it and no matter who's on silent count who's not anything like that I mean we still got to play a football game and whether you're on silent count or not I mean you can't make excuses at the end of the day as much as it, it sucks to see a bunch of red in that stadium ultimately I think it's a non-factor you got two good football teams and I think the Rams will be able to uh, to put it together even if they are on a silent count Joe, I'm going to stick with you for this question. The Rams have jumped out to multi-score leads in each of their last three games and have allowed comeback efforts in two of them. Previously, the Rams were undefeated when leading at halftime. Why are the Rams now struggling to close out games? You know, I think it's it's McVay getting a little bit nervous, honestly. I think that in the third quarter, the, in those two games that you're referencing, which would be week 18 against the 49ers and last week in the divisional round against the Bucs, it, it seems like McVay has a little bit of a mindset where he's trying to not lose the game in the third quarter and he starts running a little bit more, a little bit more conservative play calling. And I'm extremely nervous every single game about Raheem Morris and what he's going to do uh, on, on defense. He just, he makes me nervous. He gets really soft at, at times and, and plays that off coverage. And when you play off coverage against a team like, like San Fran, I mean, they've got the weapons, Debo, Kittle, Ayuk, guys that can eat that up underneath. If they're, if they're hitting those underneath routes and, and Jimmy can hit, you know, five yard pass, like any NFL quarterback can, then you got playmakers that can bust it open. So uh, it seems like that's kind of kind of what's happened. Just the Rams kind of soften up. The game last week was a little bit of 
in my opinion, a little bit of an anomaly. You don't really see two fumbles from Cam Akers, Cooper Cup fumbles. You get the, the strip sack from Von Miller. You get the ball back. Everybody's excited. And the very next play, the ball shoots past Stafford. Like, I, I, just, I don't know. It's those kind of mistakes kind of compounded there for a little bit. But it's hard to say that that's something that's just going to be a problem. You know what I mean? So the last week, I, I don't know how much I really look at that as a, as a problem or a concern because Akers, he's just getting back into the field of playing still. So it sucks to see that. But I mean, you got to. I guess the way to put it would be to play to win the game, don't play to not lose the game. And I want to see that more from the from the Rams in the third quarter in this one. Well, Joe mentioned Raheem Morris in there and the, and the Rams defense and figuring that out. And the good news is, is if the game plan changes, they do have the ultimate safety blanket of Aaron Donald being maybe the greatest defensive player we've ever seen. And, and Jason, apparently in the last four games the Niners have played against the Rams Aaron Donald has just one sack against the San Francisco 49ers so I ask you what is this 49ers offense doing to prevent Aaron Donald from getting to the quarterback and disrupting that offense other than of course having the greatest left tackle in football well I was gonna say this it's more about the meme of Daniel Brunskill. Like Daniel Brunskill literally turns into Superman when he sees Aaron Donald. And there's no way to quantify it. It's not, there's no stat behind it. I don't know what it is. He literally plays the game of his life whenever Aaron Donald is there. No, real answer. Kyle Shanahan runs the ball at him, which is, it doesn't sound like that's something you want to do. You don't want to run the ball at the guy, but you do actually. That's the way you hold back the pass rush. You keep him on his heels a little bit. So it's compounded. It's, it's a lot of things, right? Kyle Shanahan is not going to put the game in the hand of Jimmy Garoppolo and say, hey, go target Jalen Ramsey 12 times. Hey, let's drop back a bunch of times and have Aaron Donald, wherever he is, get a shot at coming to get him. Like the game plan has to do with you run at Aaron Donald a little bit. You stay away from Jalen Ramsey. That's why you move Debo around because then you can know where Jalen Ramsey is. So when he moves into the slot, he'll go that way. You'll see him there. And now you know where you can attack. Basically stay away from those studs. But in the terms of Aaron Donald, the, the Daniel Brunskill thing is, there's a little something to that. There really is. I, I really don't know how to explain it because the man is a fine guard. He's a fine right guard. He's fine, right? That's the best way I could put it. But like against Aaron Donald, he turns into like this all pro. And, and it's, it's crazy because Aaron Donald is legitimately one of the best players I've ever seen play. Literally a lock basically almost every single year for defensive player of the year. There's no real way to quantify it. And there's no real reason behind it. It's one of the wildest concepts ever. And it's just for whatever reason, he gets really good uh, matchups against him and he does well. But it's really about Kyle Shanahan negating his pass rush by just running right at him, which is actually a smart thing to do, even though that doesn't sound too smart. Brunskill, a guy that was playing in the AAF a couple of years ago and is bowing up against Aaron Donald. It's no secret that neutralizing Aaron Donald is a big part of the Niners gain of victory. But another part of that is slowing down this Rams passing attack. The Niners, they may have a quarterback issue, but they also have a cornerback issue. Ambry Thomas is questionable with a bone bruise. Dante Johnson, Josh Norman are just questionable in ability. How did the 49ers slow down Cooper Cup and OBJ, who's really come on strong in the last few weeks? I think it comes with not sacrificing anything on the back end and rushing with four. If you can get home with four and you can have everybody else back there, we know that the, the 49ers don't have secondary issues. They have cornerback depth issues. Ward and Tartar are as solid as it, as it gets. They don't really give up plays. I know Cooper Cup had a large play in week 18 on Jimmy Ward. That's not the norm. And that's a great play by him and a better throw by Stafford. Really just tip your cap at that point. With the cornerbacks, Embry Thomas had the game ceiling interception. He's progressed. We'll see what his ability is like. He had a full practice today. 
So it sounds like he's getting closer to having full range of motion, which is why he didn't play in his past game. But I, I have to say, Dante Johnson has become a bit of a punchline on 49ers Twitter. I think he did an amazing job in this Green Bay game when you consider that he had to lock up with Devontae Adams. And let me uh, break some news to some people here. Devontae Adams bakes every single corner. So I don't really want to hear that about Dante Johnson, who's the sixth cornerback, and he played very admirably in that game. I mean, the, the 49ers do so many things schematically where they're not going to exactly bracket you, but they're not going to let you run around and do whatever exactly it is. Like, you're not going to stop Adams. You're not going to stop Cup. There's no way to stop them. You don't stop them. You have to run up and tackle them as soon as they make their catches. No, no yards after catches, no big plays. That's it. There's no way to stop Cooper Cup or Devontae Adams. But in terms of the secondary – they can have all of that go away if they can get home with the four. They don't have to blitz more people and sacrifice things on the back end. I believe the pressure rate in that first in that week 18 game was somewhere in the 30%. Look, no quarterback can survive when they're being pressured on 30% of their dropbacks. Not Tom Brady, not Aaron Rodgers, not Patrick Mahomes, not Matthew Stafford, not Jimmy Garoppolo, nobody. So if you're getting home with four, you have your secondary that's not sacrificing anything and they're playing solidly. That's the way that you contain this Rams passing attack because you're not going to stop them the whole game. They're going to get their plays. They have a guy They have a guy with amazing arm talent that throw that Matthew Stafford made against the Bucs to close that one out. That is one of the legit best throws I've ever seen in, in my time watching football. Getting crushed and throwing that over the middle like that, that's the type of arm talent that Matthew Stafford has. So you're not going to stop them. You just have to limit the big plays. You have to make sure that they don't kill you um, in the red zone as much, and you have to hope that you get one or two turnovers. If the 49ers don't get turnovers in this game, they're going to have a tough time winning this game because that means they're going to have to get defensive stops and score almost every time that they have the ball. So that's going to be impactful, but I think the secondary is in a lot better shape now if they're able to just get four home without sacrificing anything on the back end. Well, you mentioned the the idea of getting turnovers, and that was the whole conversation coming into the playoffs was everyone doubts the Rams because Matthew Stafford goes from being great quarterback to Matthew. Matthew Gofford over and over again. But uh, Joe, on this theme here, uh, we've got Matthew Stafford in their two playoff games so far has a 70% completion percentage, 500 passing yards, four touchdowns, zero picks. I know there was like three fumbles in the Buccaneers game, but zero picks from Matthew Stafford. None of them were his fault. And he's got 137 quarterback rating over those two games. So we talked about the 49ers defense a second ago, but if Matthew Stafford doesn't make the mistakes and the 49ers can't generate turnovers and pressure with four is the Rams offense just unstoppable at that point well I mean one thing that the that has not yet been mentioned is the 49ers front being able to also stop the run you know it's the comeback of Cam Akers has been a massive addition of this Rams offense but it's hard to run against the 49ers I mean we all know that it's 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 a difficult task so I, I think that ultimately there's there's so many parts of this Rams offense that are able to be utilized when you if you look at just these last couple of playoff games, the game started with going to, to OBJ because Cup was being doubled. And then, you know, you see at halftime, people kind of go away from doubling Cup because now you're throwing to OBJ. So they also have to worry about him. So then that's when when Cup has been able to really produce. And then you got Tyler Higby as well. Uh, Van Jefferson's not a bad player by any means. Like, there's definitely weapons all over this place. So if Stafford can just keep doing what he's doing in the playoffs right now, it's kind of amazing and it kind of feels like there might be a little bit of a, a playoff staffer that we might be seeing because the turnovers were becoming a concern you know going into the playoffs is like well like we're good but is Stafford gonna screw it up you know and that's not been the case which has been awesome but 
Yeah, I would say if, if Stafford can continue to limit those turnovers, I, I do think it's going to be very tough for the 49ers to win this game if Stafford can limit those those turnovers. Because if you just look at the offenses uh, alone, I mean, the 49ers clearly have some some powerful weapons as well. But when they need to score really quick, that's where I don't know if I trust them. They can absolutely take those drives that are 20 plays and way too long off the clock and Stafford sitting on the sideline, you know, but uh, if if they can't generate those turnovers, I think it will be pretty difficult for the 49ers to pull this one out. So a lot is on Stafford for this one. My next question for you, Joe, is going to be about your guys' interior offensive line. Austin Corbett, David Edwards, they struggled in the Buccaneers game, allowing a multitude of pressures in week 18. Uh, Jason alluded to it, but 15 combined pressures between the two. The 49ers have 10 sacks in their last two games. How do the Rams stay on schedule offensively if this problem persists into Sunday? It'll have to be to to do what McVay wants to do, which is get the ground game going early and then run those play actions off of it because that definitely slows down that pass rush. When uh, we saw it last week, there was there was a play where we had somebody come in motion across and then at the snap, I want to say that was Van Jefferson coming in motion across and then at the snap, OBJ went behind the line the opposite way. And that's just a lot of people to keep your your eyes on as a defensive front. And that, that was a run play that ended up being a good, I want to say it was a 13-yard uh, run by Cam Akers to the left side. And also Cup had an amazing block on that one. So I, I think the run game is going to be huge for the Rams. If the Rams can get that, that run game going early, that can slow down that pass rush just because we can get that misdirection going for sure. But that 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 interior line is... I don't know if it if I would call it weak, but it is the weakest part of the Rams offensive line. I would say personally, though, I think that uh, Coleman Shelton is a better center than Brian Allen, but I also don't make any of those decisions. Brian Allen is the starter. And as long as that's the case, then, hey, I hope he, he does awesome. But uh, that interior is a little bit of a concern. But again, just got to get that that play action going. And if they don't think that you're going to run, the play action is not going to work. So that's going to be a big part of it early. Jason, the last question I've got for you concerns uh, Trent Williams, who I have said earlier and will still reiterate the best left tackle in the NFL for like a decade. And we just we just kind of ignored him because he was in Washington for all these years. But he is battling an injury. He's been on the injury report all week, Uh, whether he's 75 or 80 percent healthy and, and assuming he goes in this game. Does that change your game plan at all, knowing that the Rams have been really successful rushing with four and kind of the crux that 49ers offensive line has been behind Trent Williams play this year? Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, Trent Williams is the best in the world and uh, he's the best player on the 49ers. And in a perfect world, he would get votes for offensive player of the year because that's how good he is. But that's not a perfect world that we live in. Right. Linemen don't get love. The thing is, is that he didn't play in week 18. Colin McKibbis did at left tackle. The first time that he's ever taken snaps at left tackle. But I will say this. Von Miller wasn't heating up the way that he has these last few games. And that concerns me a little bit more this time. And why I would love for 75%, 80% Trent Williams to play. Because I think it is a little bit foolish to just say, oh, we'll just throw McKibbis back in there. He's got it. No, 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 no. I think that, first of all, when we as 49ers fans found out that it wasn't Jalen Moore first off the bench and it was going to be Colin McKivitz because Trent Williams was game time decision, we all said, what? The guys never played there. This is going to be a problem. Well, it wasn't a problem that week. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be a problem this week. So, yes, going into the most important game of the season, I would like to see the best left tackle in the world in whatever capacity go out there and give it a shot. Colin McKivitz played fine, but Von Miller's heating up right now. 
And that's the thing. To look at that matchup and just say, oh, you can just duplicate that again, I would think would be foolish because I don't think this game goes anywhere near the way that it went in week 18 either, right? The Rams jumped out to a big lead. This game is going to be tooth and nail back and forth this entire time, like this whole game. Like it's not going to get 17 nothing on either end, either way, because the 49ers came out flat. The Rams scripted plays were on point. They, they were, you know, the Higby touchdown. They were just moving the ball at will. D'Amico Ryan's made adjustments. The offense made adjustments. They scored after half and then things kind of flipped. I don't see that going this way. This game's going to be much closer. So those pass rushing reps, those, those pass blocking reps become more valuable in a game that's going to be much closer, right? Like, and the 49ers had to basically claw themselves back into that game. I just don't see that happening. So yes, Trent Williams needs to be in this game. I'm going to say on Thursday, probably cold take myself right now. I think he's going to play, but he didn't practice today. And I would be lying if I didn't say I was concerned. I was concerned about it. I wasn't concerned. I'm concerned. I'm very concerned. So it's just foolish to just say, hey, man, Colin McKibben's got it. Mm, Von Miller's playing a little bit different right now. Like maybe he's turning it. Like you, you mentioned playoff Matthew Stafford. What if there's playoff Von Miller? I've seen him like will teams to win championships. Like literally Peyton Manning didn't throw a touchdown pass that entire postseason. And guess what? They won Super Bowl. So like I know that that's not the same guy, but all he has to do is heat up for two more games. He doesn't have to be that same guy for 12 games. So, yeah, I would love to see Trent play. Gentlemen, 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 it is time to put our stamp on this game, to put our predictions on the line. So, Jason, I'm looking at you first for this one. You said it on your Twitter yourself that you are tired of being humble. What is your prediction for the 49ers heading into Los Angeles? And when I say that, I just mean I always try to be objective. Sometimes I talk myself into losses because I don't want to be a homer. And I say, man, they do this well. They do this well. You know what? It's winter go home time. So it's not even time to mess around with that. I'm not going to be out here predicting the 49ers loss at this point. I got a 28-21. This is going to be a game where either the 49ers have to have a stand at the end of the game or they have to go down and win it. I just think that Jimmy Garoppolo has, we talked about it, right? He's played the way that he's played. That's the best way I could play. He's played the way that he's played last two weeks. It's kind of due for a little bit of a good game. And what I mean by good game is 200 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. No one's asking anything of Jimmy Garoppolo other than don't turn the ball over. Like, when you guys mentioned Matthew Stafford not with turnovers, the 49ers would kill for a clean game from Jimmy Garoppolo, would kill for that, right? Like, and if the 49ers are not giving the ball away, they become increasingly difficult to beat because that's the only way that they really have put themselves in a bind or a hole. And if he's able to just operate the offense, make sure he converts those third downs and, and those longer drives, I think that the 49ers are going to have a script to come out this time. They're not going to come out as flat on offense and defense, but this is going to be a dogfight all the way to the end. I mean, this is going to be the third time, so I'm not predicting any sort of blowout, anything like that. I've got a 28-21 in, in a classic game to, to put the 49ers back in the, in the Super Bowl. Kyle Ledbetter, as the most neutral party on this podcast, I need you to give your prediction as we head into Sunday. You know, I, I had said in week 18 when uh, Kyle Shanahan overcame the 17-point deficit in the second half for the first time in the history of the McVay era uh, that he blew a second-half lead. I, I was kind of just saying I, I don't really understand how that works, but it does. I wish someone could better explain what the matchup actually does that the 49ers beat the Rams all the time. Uh, not preparing that I'd have to actually discuss them playing again in the playoffs, uh, and then I would have to put my money where my mouth was on that I, I'm tempted to pick the 49ers despite the fact that the Rams are a better team the Rams uh, you would look on paper and say they're a better matchup but the 49ers match up really well against them over the past two seasons uh, both teams are going to dump are going to try and control time of possession and so I think that possessions are going to be limited in this game which means 
once teams get into the red zone, it's going to be really interesting to see what the strategy is because both these teams are uh, great on defense once teams get into the red zone this year. And so I think touchdowns are going to be at a premium in this game. I think the score is probably going to hang around the 20 to 16 or 23 to 17 range. Both teams are going to be kicking some field goals um, and possessions aren't going to be as plentiful in this game. So for that reason, I think it'll come down to the wire, at least on the scoreboard. It might feel like the Rams are winning most of the way or the 49ers get a turnover and they'll jump ahead a little bit. This is close to a coin toss game for me, but I'm going to take the Rams to win. I usually don't do score predictions for these types of late games because it's kind of meaningless, but I'll throw out either 20 to 16 or 23 to 16. Garoppolo is going to have the ball at the end of the game, needing to score a touchdown and uh, it will probably not happen. So that is, that is my bet at the end of that game. I'll take the Rams to win somewhere between like four and seven points, something like that. Uh, And the Rams are going back to the Super Bowl with an entirely different team from the team that went there three years ago. All righty, Sheriff. I know where you're probably going to go with this one, but answer me, whose house is it this coming Sunday? Rams house. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, this this there's a lot that goes into it from the Rams side. This game is kind of twofold from the Rams perspective. The first part of that is our perspective of we just knocked out Tom Brady, so we're feeling pretty good. You know, when you knock out the reigning defending champion Tom Brady at his house, you automatically feel pretty confident moving forward, all right? But this is a team that has beaten the Rams in six straight meetings. The last time that the Rams did beat the 49ers, it was the 2018 season. That season worked out mostly to the end. But really what we're looking at here is we come to SoFi against a team that's beaten us six straight times, and they are the only team standing in our way of playing a home game at our own stadium in the Super Bowl. Even though NFC is the road team, it's it's our house, you know. And on the flip side of that, the second aspect of that is you are now the only team standing in the way of your biggest division rival from playing a Super Bowl at your house. Something about that just tells me this Rams team is going to be absolutely fired up. Some of the quotes that we're seeing from from guys like like Von Miller, how when he showed up, he was watching. Uh, the the replays of the divisional game last week last year against the the Packers and the look on Aaron Donald's face he showed up and he said hey man I'm going to do everything in my power to get you a championship and now we're one win away from getting into that game and when you have Vaughn Miller saying that stuff to Aaron Donald makes me feel pretty good about it all right these 49ers are one heck of a football team I actually don't think that they get enough credit myself I think that everybody kind of looks at the 49ers being the sixth seed and they're like you know what six seed they barely they were third place in the division like whatever Jimmy Garoppolo's their quarterback and so and I just don't think they're getting enough credit and to to kind of comment on 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 what you said there about the the 49ers and, and what they do against the Rams they punch the Rams in the mouth for 60 straight minutes that's what they do and are the Rams going to punch back and that's the big question that's what we did in the in the beginning of that first game and then let up a little bit so I want to see that for full 60 minutes I think that this Rams team can absolutely get fired up for this one I like the the stars that we have. Everybody is focused in right now. Jalen, uh, Vaughn, Aaron Donald, everybody is just so focused on getting this win, moving on, playing at SoFi Stadium in a couple weeks. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Rams win this one 27 to 17. I do think it'll be a pretty tight game, but I do think that there will be some fourth quarter turnovers, which we all know that Jimmy Garoppolo is more than capable of, that will give that little bit of a separation. 
<laughs> and it turns to me and I'm going to split it at a two, two tie. I'm a superstitious sports fan at nature. That's why I'm wearing this outfit once again. And that's why the 49ers are going to win this coming Sunday. I believe at the core that Jimmy Garoppolo is a winner. And I believe this fourth quarter, he is due. He is due. Like Jason said, I'm going to be a little bit bolder. I'm going to say this is going to be his first multi-touchdown day of the playoffs. That is what I will say about Jimmy Garoppolo this coming Sunday. I don't know who's going to step up mostly as a pass catcher. I know the last two interceptions in that Rams game came when targeting George Kittle. I think George is actually going to be more of a factor this coming game. And that's what I think is going to be a big difference maker. There's no way that the Rams just jump out to immediately. And I think this is going to be similar to the first Monday night football game where the Niners got the ball first. They controlled the clock. They came out with a first possession that just shook the Rams at their core. And I'm going to use this analogy once again, because again, superstitious sports fan here. If they are going down, I'm going down with the ship. I am riding that Titanic to the very end because at my core, I'm a 49ers faithful. But all righty, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. It is time for the shameless plugs. Joe, tell us all about Ram Showcase. Tell us all about your projects. What do we need to know about you, man? Yeah, Ram Showcase is the podcast that I host. I, I write, edit, produce everything. It's a one-man show. It's uh, almost six years old. So we're, we'll go into our first grade year uh, this following season. Uh, turn six on uh, March 15th. Uh, it's at Ram Showcase on Instagram, Twitter, everything like that. Uh, YouTube is where the, the most attention goes right now. So search Ram Showcase on YouTube. You can follow myself, though, as well. I am at Sheriff Joe Bags just about everywhere. Thank you guys again for having me. I do appreciate it. Jason, as you close in on 10,000 followers on Twitter, people need to know that social handle. People need to know about your YouTube channel. What projects do you got, my friend? Um, appreciate you guys for having me again. Joe, it was very nice to meet you too, man. I thought this was a great back and forth, by the way. It, it's really good to bounce ideas off of an opponent, especially in a game this big. And, you know, you made some great points and I'll definitely be tapping in with you, bro. And, you know, we'll talk after the game. Maybe I'll send you a message or whatever. I'll be in so far, so we'll talk about it. But um, yeah, uh, at Jason Aponte 2103 on Twitter, close to 10,000. You guys can help me out. That'd be pretty cool. But on YouTube, Jason Aponte and um instagram jay aponte 2103 today i tried to cram in all of the content that i could because i'm flying out early morning um from new jersey over to la so um did grant cone show today got spring right option podcast tonight right after this uh don't miss that and uh just tapping on the youtube just did an interview with booby dixon 49ers legend state of the franchise with brad graham um me and leo luna do barbershop talk so all throughout the week we're gonna have content for you and then also tap in because i will be at the senior bowl as well too and uh I'll be giving you guys a bunch of guys that the 49ers should be targeting with their second round pick because they don't have a first round pick, which can only the best it could be is 29 right now. So, you know, everybody was talking about that, that draft pick. Hey, 29. That's kind of where you wanted it to be. Right. You thought you thought that's how it would be. But um, yeah, I appreciate you fellas for having me on again and appreciate the conversation with Joe, man. This was a lot of fun and uh, it's good to be talking about our teams in January with a chance to play in February, especially if you know the 49ers journey. Yeah. I don't think anybody of any, any one of us, and we're faithful, any one of us could have seen this coming. That's why I couldn't imagine how it'd be to be a Lions fan. <laughs> All righty, guys, hope you enjoyed that. And if you did, we'll be sure to drop more of our YouTube segments on the auto streaming platforms. Again, we really appreciate if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, closing in on 2,000 subscribers there. And it's because of loyal listeners like you. So stay safe, happy, and healthy. Juju Talk Sports. I will see you next time.